This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift our voices and give out Jesus praise today. He is Lord. He is God. He is King. Come on, we can do better than that. Let's give Him all the glory. We bless your name, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, good morning, family. Everybody well and blessed, full of the Lord. So good to be here again and see what is happening up here. See, Jesus is building His church. What a privilege it is to work with our God, knowing that He is the one that's called us. We also want to give honor to our pastors, Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Vormerans. Thank God for pastors with vision, who can see the future that God has set before us and teach us the word uncompromised. And I thank you for the honor of being able to minister here today. How many you came expectant? How many you ready to receive? Father, we stand before you amazed at your glory, amazed at how good you are. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the living word. And today we've come to hear from heaven, come to hear from you. And so, Father, I make it known today, I put no trust in myself as a limited human being. I do submit myself under your mighty hand. I thank you that by your grace, I may speak your word with clarity and accuracy. As your word goes forth, you'd ignite it with your presence. Take it deep in the heart of every hearer, which causes faith to rise and dispels every form of fear. As minds are renewed to your word, understanding replaces confusion. I believe that each and every one of us today are transformed from glory to glory. For this we give you alone the praise and honor in the name of Jesus. Family, if you're ready to receive, would you shout Amen. Praise God as you see that open your Bible at Exodus chapter 20. Hallelujah. In this month of generosity, we recognize that God has called us to be generous. And I know that He is a generous God, and He, through His generosity, God so loved the world that He gave His Son. That you and I recognize as we're born again, we take on the image of God. That means we desire to be generous. How many of you here today want to live a generous life. Can I see your hand? I believe every born-again believer puts their hands up because that's our nature. We want to be generous. It's not like we're not trying to be, but sometimes it seems like we just don't have enough to be generous with. We'd like to be more generous, but we haven't seen the abundance. We're just barely trying to keep our own noses above the water. We're barely just trying to get through on our own ability. How many of you notice that sometimes there's more month than money? Now, I come from a situation like that where Janine and I were hopelessly in debt, and I discovered from the Word of God that God wants to bless us. He wants us to increase. He wants us to live a generous life. Even Isaac, when he sowed, the Bible tells in Genesis chapter 26, verse 12, when he sowed in the land in that same year, God blessed him with a hundredfold return. How many of you want to see a hundredfold return in your life? Notice the Word of God says that the man began to prosper, and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. How many of us here desire to be very prosperous? Let me see. You wanting to be prosperous? Well, here's the thing. How many of us can say we know for a fact that when we gave, that you can think back to a situation where you specifically gave for a situation, and there was no doubt that when it came through as a harvest that that was God. You know God brought that harvest into your life. You saw a miracle where you saw a return on your giving. Can I see your hand? So look at that. 
almost every hand went up. That tells me we've all begun to prosper. So the problem is not in the beginning to prosper. So between beginning to prosper and being very prosperous of some very key words, the man continued prospering. Everybody say continued prospering. And that's where I find out is where I broke down. Even though I was trusting God, even though I was tithing and sowing seed, I saw prosperity happening, but I wasn't reaching to the very prosperous. And I realized there were things that I was doing in between God blessing me and me messing up what He had already given me. And I realized that there are some keys that are my responsibility. God will bless us. He will give to us. But there are certain things that you and I need to be doing. And so today I want to look at 10 commandments of financial stewardship, of being a good, faithful steward over what gives us, over what God gives us. Now the Bible tells in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Say this, as a servant of Christ, I am a steward of the mysteries of God. How many of you recognize that everything that you and I have, God gave to us? We've been born into this earth naked, and when we leave, we'll leave with nothing. And so everything in between that we have, it's all God's. God says the earth is His, the fullness thereof. The gold and the silver is mine, says the Lord. We know that the cattle and the hills, everything belongs to God. God gives it, and then we are the ones that steward over it. And it says in verse 2, moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. It is required in stewards that one be found faithful. How many of you want to be a good steward of what God gives you? Say, it is required of me to be found faithful. So you recognize that stewardship is not just for people who have a lot of money doesn't matter how much money we have, we have to be wise and good stewards over what God gives us. And so we're going to have a look at Ten Commandments. I was inspired to do this by uh, Pastor Robert Morris. He's the author of The Blessed Life, where he took Ten Commandments and, and mapped them across. And I'm going to do a similar thing and share from my life what God has done and shown me. And the thing about the Ten Commandments, how many of you recognize that when God gives us commandments under the old covenant, it looks like they're a bunch of laws, thou shalt and thou shalt not. And it's almost if you do, then I will kill you. But when you look at it from the new covenant, how many of you know the word of God tells us in Galatians 3 verse 13 that we have been redeemed from the curse of the law so that we can become a blessing so that the promise that was given to Abraham, the blessing of Abraham may come upon us. Well, the Bible tells us in Genesis 12 that when God blessed Abraham, He said that He would bless Abraham and He would be a blessing. He didn't say anything about a bunch of rules. He said that if you follow my commands, if you walk with me, if we walk in covenant, I make a covenant with you. I'm going to be your God, and as your God, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Say, I have been saved, therefore I am blessed, and because I'm blessed, I can be a blessing. And so when I look at the Ten Commandments, I no longer see a bunch of rules. I see from a new covenant, I wouldn't want to do anything else. Let me give you an example. Have a look at the first commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Family God, how many of you know God saved us out of destruction? And if I look at my own life, I wonder where I would be if I wasn't saved. My life was headed for destruction. I know God saved me in the nick of time. And when I saw how much he's done for me, how he delivered me, how he set me free, how he healed my wife, he's healed my life, he's delivered us financially, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Why would I want any other God? That's what God's saying. I've delivered you. There'll be no other God that can possibly do that for you. And so when it comes to being a good steward, number one, put God first. Put God first. Remember in 1 Kings chapter 17, we see the account where Elijah had declared by the word of the Lord to King Ahab that at his word that there'll be no rain until he says so. And as a result, there was a drought and King Ahab wanted to kill Elijah. And so God delivered him out of the city and took him out into the countryside next to a river and fed him there from where birds brought bread and meat. And then later on, the water dried up. And then God gave him an instruction in verse 8. The word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. And he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Now, family, how many realize in a drought, a cup of water is already a sacrifice? This woman's willing to do that. She was going, verse 11, to get it and called to her. He called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And so she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin, a little oil in a jar. See, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Do as you've said. But make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. Afterward, make some for yourself and your son. Now, this would be an ideal opportunity if this woman was cheeky and, you know, have kind of a cocky attitude and swing her head a bit and say, I don't think you heard me, sir. I just told you we only got enough for me and my son. And he's saying, yes, go and make something for me and I want to eat it. And here's the thing, the man, if you keep reading, actually ate it. Can you imagine how the newspapers would handle that today? Man of God eats widow's last meal. I mean, you know this world doesn't understand when it comes to the things of God. But I want you to hear his wording. Notice what he says. He says, bring it to me first. Everybody say first. What you do first is important. What you do first is important. It's not like I'll get around to it later. He used the word first because that was the key. Bring it to me first. Now, how many of you realize God wasn't trying to feed the man? I mean, this prophet was well fed. He's been eating bread and meat for a number of days. You can just imagine her looking at him. She's all gnarly and thin, and, and I mean, she's hungry, and, and he has this well-fed prophet, and he's saying, give me your food. How many of you realize it's not for him that God's called her to do this? 
He says yeah, and afterward make something for your son. Look at verse 14. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the burnt flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went and she did according to the word of Elijah. She and he and her household ate for many days. The burnt flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Family, I want you to pick up on verse 13. Do not fear. I know today there's a lot of pressure around us, particularly when it comes to our political situation, our financial situation, economical situation. Family, now is not the time to fear. Do not fear. Have your priorities right. Notice when God brought this man into the widow's life, it wasn't to feed him. It was to feed her. When God calls us to tithe, it's not because some people think the tithe is so that the church can do better and the church can be run. The tithe's not there to, God doesn't need our money to run the church. The tithe is entirely for your benefit. Say that the power of the tithe is entirely for my benefit. Look at the second commandment in verse 4 of Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20 verse 4, you shall make you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Come and look at verse 5. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. What's God saying? Don't bow down to idols. Some of those people say, I don't do that. Well, number two is do not worship material things. Don't worship material things. Family, an idol isn't just a statue. It is anything that we put before God. How many of us have ever put anything before God? Let me ask it in a different way. How many of us have ever spent money on something, we've bought something that later we regret having bought? Every hand went up there. Now, now let me ask you, if I regret buying it, that tells me I didn't first check with the master if I should be buying it or not. In other words, I wanted that thing more than me even checking with God, should I be getting this? Because I may be afraid of what he's going to say. He might say, no, I don't want you to get that. Come on now. So do I first check with the master? How many you know that whenever I receive something, the tithe goes to the Lord, that's automatic, it belongs to him. But he also gives bread for food and seed for sowing. So whatever I receive has built into it the tithe, and it has built into it the bread and the seed. And so how do I know what I can eat if, until I find out for him which portion of this is seed? He is the master. I am a steward. It's not just up to me to decide what to do with it. And so I'm going to put God first, and then I'm not going to allow the material thing to dictate to me whether I should be moving ahead or not. Don't worship material things. Remember Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, the rich rules over the poor. The borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower is servant to the lender. Now, I have to ask you, whose servant are you? I need to ask myself. How many of you want to know that you are a servant to only Jesus? I want to be a servant to Jesus Christ. Now, the thing is, if I go and buy a motor car, for example, and I use a loan from the bank to buy it with, how many of you know that we don't own the car? I know we call it my car, but if you go down to the bank, you notice you didn't get the title deed if you bought on a loan. 
You don't get the title deed. The bank keeps it. And then the day you pay the car off, they say you can come pick up the title deed, and you'll notice on it is the bank's name. It's not even your name on there. It belongs to the bank. And so imagine someone walks through the door, and God says, I want you to give your car to that person. Well, I have to go check with the bank first. I have to say, we have to transfer this car to this person's name. They're going to say, but there's an amount outstanding on it, so he has to take over the loan. And they check him out. Maybe he doesn't have a good credit record. They're not prepared to give him a loan, so the bank says, no. But God says, I must give it. But the bank says, no. Well, now I have to ask you, who's in charge? You see, now the bank becomes God at that moment. No, I don't want to be limited by my bank. And you say amen to that. I want to be in a place where I know that I, whatever I've got, I'm only subject to God. And so when he says give it, I can freely give it without even checking with anybody else. Hallelujah. And so we want to make sure that we obey that and we honor God. Amen. Number three, the third commandment, verse seven. Exodus 20, you shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now we know that talks about not using God's name as a swear word or using it, you know, for other things. But how many of you recognize there's more to it when he says don't take the Lord God's name in vain. When you think of a vain person, what are they usually? If you think that person's vain, they're selfish. And so I want to use that part of the commandment and say, don't use God's name for selfish motives. Don't use God's name for selfish motives. It's linked closely to, you know, wanting material things. Sometimes we see something we want and we decide we're going to get that anyway. So we say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I want that. Hang on, did you first check with God? Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Is it time to get that thing? Is it right to get that thing? Is it going to help you? Is it, how many you recognize there are some things that if we got them, it would actually hurt us? And so I need to check with God. Am I capable of using that thing? Am I in the right place to have that? And so rather than just deciding, well, God said, you know, that sometimes people use it. We hear, we can hear the voice of God. And then you hear people going around, God said this, God said that. And some people say, God told me this. And I go, no, he didn't. They say, how can you say that? Because I know God. I know his word. And what you just said violates his word. Be careful that we're not just using God's name to get stuff and things for our own, to satisfy our own flesh. Can I get a bigger amen? Remember Mark chapter 10, verse 29, Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold when? Now, in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. How many of you wouldn't mind a hundredfold return on your generosity? Let me see your hand. Lift your hand and say, God said, I can't expect a hundredfold return on my generosity. There is a condition though, and that is if I am generous for his sake and the gospel's sake. Can you see that? It's not about me. It's not just me wanting to get a Mercedes Benz or me getting a nice, you know, pair of shoes or a nice suit. How many you know God wants you to have nice things? 
But he's not trying to make us rich so that we can just have nice things. No, he's enriching us so that we can be generous for the sake of the gospel, to preach the gospel of Jesus. And if you get involved with the work of God and you get involved with preaching the word of God and you stand in faith, you know God's going to look after you and provide for you. Can I get a hallelujah? Have a look at the fourth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Everybody say holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Now, family God, how many recognize that under the old covenant, they had to keep the Saturday, the seventh day, as their Sabbath day? Under the new covenant, Jesus has become for us our Sabbath. I don't have time to teach this right now, but even the Word of God says, Paul said that Sabbath was, that Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Paul went on and said it's no longer about days and seasons, it's about the heart before God. There are principles, though, that we can draw from this. And so the fourth point I want to use this commandment for is to be a wise steward of your time and your energy. Be a wise steward of your time and your energy. See, a lot of times people in trying to get rich, trying to make more money, carry two, three, four jobs. They work extra hours. They're up before the sun is up. They go to bed late at night and then work seven days a week. Family God, if we keep driving our bodies like that, we will eventually burn ourselves out. We will destroy our lives. And in fact, it will even affect your relationship with God. Know this, when God says put a day aside, it's because he knows how his system works. Even the earth, if the world used God's system of agriculture, we wouldn't have a problem. If you eat food today, it's very short on nutrition. Because the reason is God would say work the field for six, day, six years, and in the seventh year, don't take anything out of it. Instead, we work at seven days, deplete the earth, and then try and pump the stuff back artificially. And it's causing all kinds of diseases. And yet, if we honored God and recognized, if we just work the field for six, days, six years, on the seventh year, leave it, we will get far more out in the six years than we on our own could get out in seven years. When you set aside a day, it may not be a Saturday, it may not be a Sunday, like for myself, I work on a Saturday and a Sunday, this is preaching the word, preparing the word, teaching the word. I need a time to relax, so I will use an alternative day. The key is just set one day aside where you do nothing. And you think, but I could be making money. Imagine how much God can do when you honor him with six days than I can do in my own seven days. It's the same with the tithe. Often we think we can use all our money and we think we can go so much further. I've discovered that by giving God one-tenth, 10%, He can do far more with the 90 than I ever could have done with the 100. How many of you realize the 100 never ever touched base? When I first got saved, I was already using 120, 140% of my salary. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And then you discover in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, the Bible says, All the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the Lord's, it is holy. It is holy. Everybody say holy. What does holy mean? It's set apart. It's sanctified. It belongs to God. Say this, the tithe is the Lord's. It is not mine. It belongs to God. 
Now, you realize if the tithe belongs to God, then he gets to decide what to do with it. And he gave us clear instructions of what to do with the tithe. He said in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, bring how much? How much? All the tithes. Where? To the storehouse. Where is that? That there may be food in my house, the house of God. Say this, the tithe belongs in the house of God. For what purpose? So that there can be food. Now, you know he's not talking about steak and chips. He's talking about the Word of God. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so God has stipulated as the master, you and I are stewards, that the tithe must come to the house so that the Word of God can be preached. And then He gives us a promise of a blessing. Now, family of God, how do you recognize if God decides the tithe must come to His house, you and I don't get to decide not to do that. Sometimes people think, well, I don't know what the church does with the tithe. I don't know if they're using it correctly or not. I'd rather do my own thing with it, you know, use it for my granny or help some poor person. That means that puts you back in charge and you're no longer the steward. Come on now. God said, bring it to the house. Now, people may still think, well, but what happens when it gets here? And how do you recognize that the pastor is a steward once the finances enter into the house of God? Dr. Theo is responsible for the finances and how they are distributed, and he is a steward, and he has set up a structure and a team to assist him with that. Now, he will stand before Jesus and give an account for that stewardship. It's not up to me to discipline him if I think he's not using it properly, so I will withhold it. See, if I withhold it, I'm not disciplining the church. I'm not disciplining Dr. Theo. I'm hurting myself. See, once I bring the tithe and it crushes the threshold into the house of God, my responsibility is over. I don't care if they take the whole mount and just flush it down a tube somewhere. I'm still blessed because I obeyed God. I want to make sure my household is protected. I want to make sure that I'm blessed. I want to make sure that I'm always increasing. And so I'm going to obey God. If he said to bring it to the house, that's what I'm going to do. How do you say amen to that? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first, with the first, with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, how do you know today we are not grain farmers keeping our produce in barns? Where do we keep our income? In banks. So imagine that. Honor the Lord with a tithe and your banks, your bank accounts will always be filled with plenty. Did you hear what I said? Your bank accounts. Not just that little savings thing, not sticking something under a mattress. You need many accounts. You need a giving account. You need an investment account. You need, come on, are you getting a hold of this? Hallelujah. See, family, this is the first thing we should be teaching our disciples. The very first thing. God was teaching the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 23 in verse 14 from the NIV version. In the verse 14, it describes various feasts. You must come before me and worship me this way. Come before me and worship me this way. Come before me and worship me that way. And then verse 15 at the end, he says, no one is to appear before me empty-handed. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Every time I go to the house of God, I go with a seed in my hand. 
Every time I come to worship God, I come with something to honor God. He has been so good to me. He has so blessed me. I am a generous person because He is generous, and He's made me generous. And I want to honor Him and show Him that honor. So when I come to worship, I come with a gift. And so, family of God, three very important principles of being a wise steward is number one, you want to spend wisely. Spend wisely wisely always listening to God before you make a decision to spend something number two save diligently save diligently why you want to prepare seeds of significance you want to set a future with investments number three give generously love a generous lifestyle give generously Family, that's all we have time for today. That's four commandments. There's still six others. How many of you want to hear what they are? Let me see your hand. Come on. You need to be back here tonight. Tonight, we're going to cover the last six commandments. And I'm telling you that I'm going to give you practical insight and information that I personally used that transformed our lives and shot us out of debt into a place of surplus abundance where whenever we want to be generous, we can be generous. And we can do the work of God unhindered. And so you don't want to miss that. I believe there's going to be an anointing yet tonight. that's going to break the burdens of poverty, of lack, and of debt. And set you on a stream of generous lifestyle. How are you ready for that kind of life? Let me see. Only four people want that. Let me see. Say this. I will be here tonight. So you're going to have to make a mind change. Some people have got the idea they're going to come to church once a weekend. Well, this weekend, you're going to do two. Can I get a bigger amen? Did you get something this morning? Lift your hand and say, today I heard the word of God. That word brought faith to my heart. I am a believer, not a doubter. From this day on, in my financial affairs, I will always put God first. I make a decision to never worship material things. I will not use God's name for my selfish motives. And I make sure that I'm a wise steward of everything that God has put in my hands. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Come on, give him praise. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.